Hello everyone and welcome back to the Bridgehead on 5.30 a.m. at 1.30 p.m. Thank you all for being with us again this week. Now, last week we interviewed the director of the Center for Bioethical Reform, Greg Cunningham, on the psychology of killing and how the ending of human lives affects the lives of the humans perpetrating the crimes. Now, if you want to hear that interview and a number of the other interviews that we've done on this weekly radio show, or the week before it was uh, the British commentator Peter Hitchens, uh, the week before that was Ava Schloss, the stepsister of Anne Frank, whose uh, story and description of, of the Holocaust is really riveting and chilling, then go to unmaskingchoice.ca and check out the Bridgehead radio show. We're also on iTunes if you want to subscribe to us weekly. But this week, we have, we have a really exciting guest. It's McLean's editor, Paul Wells, who's recently wrote a very fascinating book called The Longer I'm Prime Minister, Stephen Harper and Canada. Now, what Paul Wells does is something that most other political writers haven't been successful at doing. A lot of writers in Canada have attempted to write something on Stephen Harper. Uh, Lawrence Martin wrote a book, uh, a typical hackish sort of anti-conservative book. Uh, a number of other writers have, have made uh, various attempts, including Marcy McDonald's sort of ridiculous attempt to claim that the rise of Stephen Harper was the rise of the evangelical right. But what Paul Wells has done is, is written a book that's, that's really surprisingly objective and taking a look at Stephen Harper and laying out what he wants to do, um, whether you like that or not. And his book I thought was was very funny and and it was very very insightful and even though I've been following Stephen Harper's career extremely closely since its very beginning, I learned a lot about the inner workings of the Prime Minister's office and and what Paul Wells does is he he does a very good job of avoiding just common cliches and stereotypes about Stephen Harper the control freak and Stephen Harper this and Stephen Harper the guy who needs everybody to do exactly what he says and he sort of peels the onion and explains why Stephen Harper is the way he is and why Stephen Harper has been so wildly successful as a prime minister who's now won a string of elections and gone from an extremely weak minority government to an extremely strong majority government. Now, obviously as communications director for the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform, we've been doing a project in recent months called Face the Children, where we've been going to the writings of different politicians and we've been putting their faces on postcards next to aborted babies to highlight their position. Of course, uh, the first member of parliament that, that we went to to expose his position was Stephen Harper, the Prime Minister of Canada, because Stephen Harper is the most pro-abortion Prime Minister that Canada's ever had, and Paul Wells covers this uh, quite extensively in his book, as well as in the interview that I'll be playing for you all very shortly. So. We're in a very interesting political situation here in Canada where, in many ways, we have the pro-life issue resurging and coming to the surface, and politicians are discussing it again, and groups like We Need a Law have come out and, and, and are pushing for a different style of, of pro-life lobbying in, in, in Parliament. And at the same time, we've got a Prime Minister who is determined to use his power to shut down any discussion on abortion whatsoever. So there's sort of a... A dissonance between the commentators. Some commentators say, well, as long as Stephen Harper is Prime Minister, the abortion issue will never be discussed. And I, I agree. I would agree with that analysis completely, and I've been saying that for years. However, there's other commentators like John Iveson of the National Post a couple days ago who said, well, that's true maybe, but Stephen Harper won't always be the Prime Minister. And Stephen Harper 
when he leaves, we'll be leaving a, a very, very strong number of pro-life members of parliament who are getting increasingly vocal and in increasingly dedicated to pushing this item on the agenda. There are a lot of politicians who are saying that enough is enough. It's really time that we addressed this very fundamental human rights issue. Mr. Wells' analysis of the whole situation is really quite interesting, so without further ado, I would like to play for you the interview that I conducted with McLean's editor, Paul Wells. Mr. Wells, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Um, what I found really interesting about your book, which, which I very much enjoyed, by the way, was that one of the central theses of your book is that Prime Minister Stephen Harper is playing the long game and has been sort of trying to incrementally turn Canada into a fundamentally more conservative country. How has Harper been trying to implement that vision in your view? Well, the, the, the first, the, the, the idea that he's uh, trying to implement change over the long term is a little unusual for, for Canadian conservative leaders. Uh, the, the, the most prominent example in uh, recent times was Mike Harris in Ontario who implemented his common sense revolution, mm -hmm. which cuts the welfare rates, uh, uh, substantial tax cuts, a bunch of things that happened very quickly. And the result of that was that uh, pretty soon he was out of office and a liberal government was in power for a decade undoing everything he did. What Harper's trying to do is avoid that. So Harper's trying to uh, stay in power for a long uh, period of time and to implement changes that will be difficult to undo. Right. GST cut. So he cuts the GST by two points. It doesn't seem like much, but it gets billions of dollars out of Ottawa that uh, that gov governments can't use to, to build new social programs and so on. Mm -hmm. And it is such a popular tax cut, and reversing it would be so unpopular that even Tom Mulcair and Justin Trudeau uh, have no intention of reversing that cut. So it, that's one example among many uh, where Harper has uh, permanently constrained the federal government, or quasi-permanently, you know, for a good long time. And 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 simply by staying in power, by... by um, uh, surviving, even though he had the weakest minority government in Canadian history in 2006, getting re-elected in 2008, winning a majority in 2011, he's slowly getting some Canadians used to the idea that the, that the Prime Minister can be conservative. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it would be safe actually to call this like Stephen Harper's sort of real hidden agenda then, is to slowly but surely make tweaks that aren't, aren't noticeable but at the same time have a very long-term impact. Yeah, I mean... Um, it's not hidden in the sense that he keeps it a secret, but he doesn't talk about it very much. He doesn't talk about it in those terms for very much. Uh, but he has uh, not made, made a secret of the fact that he wants to uh, keep winning elections. That And, and he often talks about uh, the Conservatives as the... Uh, essentially the party of, of regular folks and average Canadians, and he tries to frame the other parties, including the Liberals, who governed for most of the last 40 years before him, as uh, essentially uh, aberrations. Uh, he, he's doing to the Liberals what Liberals used to do to Conservatives for a long time, which is he's depicting himself as normal and the other guys as a risky uh, change uh, from, from what would otherwise be normal. Right. Right, there's been a lot of discussion uh, in the media lately about Stephen Harper, the control freak, as, as things sort of seem to be unraveling a bit with the Senate scandal, which you addressed at the very end of your book. Um, I'm, I'm, I assume at some point you just have to stop writing these things or they just, they just go on interminably. Um, many have sort of mocked Harper as a run-of-the-mill control freak, but you've more extensively analyzed why you believe Harper focuses so much on message control. Like, What do you think are some of the common misconceptions about Harper, and do you think that this focus has hurt or helped his political rise? Well, first of all, the control stuff is not total, right? He does delegate to trusted lieutenants, uh, including senior 
your ministers like Jason Kenney and James Moore, mm -hmm. uh, John Baird, uh, and he delegated apparently quite a lot of responsibility to Nigel Wright when Nigel yeah. Wright was his chief of staff. Right. That so turned out to be a mistake. Mm -hmm. But you're right, the basis for the control uh, uh, system that he has implemented is not his personality or a whim. It's the fact that he's convinced that he lost the 2004 election because there were too many loose lips in, in the campaign and because he hadn't worked hard enough on uh, 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 defining and rehearsing and preparing his message every time he spoke in public. This Prime Minister detests improvisation because improvisation leads to saying things that uh, – that the news uh, broadcasts find interesting that have nothing to do with what you were trying to say. Right. So he's very careful to make sure that he only says what he meant to say and that uh, nobody uh, else says something somewhere else in the country that will steal his uh, his thunder. And, and, and that's why you have this elaborate system of uh, rehearsal preparation uh, and, and several levels of clearance before anyone delivers any message on behalf of the government. Mm -hmm. And do you think that's been very effective in, 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 in streamlining his message? And in spite of the, you know, the, the bashing he gets from, from the commentators about his, his sort of control freak attitude, do you think it's actually helped him and done what he wanted it to do? I, I think it quite clearly has, even though, um, uh, just about every reporter in the press gallery here is on constant watch for uh, contradictions or for infighting in the Conservative Party, looking for uh, signs of dissent or, uh, or incoherence. And even though he started with that very weak minority in 2006, mm -hmm. he has managed to uh, stay on message most of the time. No, no one's perfect and life is full of chaos. But he's managed to deliver a coherent set of um, arguments for, for his government staying in power. And he's managed to stay in power now for close to eight years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And on that note, with, with the demise of the Liberal Party, there's been a lot of talk recently about the fall of the Laurentian consensus. Uh, where are your views on where the current and future power centers are? And do those current and future power centers really dictate what, what, our, what our governments are going to look like in terms of their ideology? So John Ibbotson, the Globe columnist, and uh, Daryl Bricker, the pollster, have written a very interesting book called The Big Shift, which is about how economic power, populations, and uh, and political power are moving west in the country, basically mm -hmm. from Ontario, Quebec to Alberta. Uh, I think there's a lot to that, but I don't think it's been sudden or drastic, this change. I think it's been gradual, and I think it's still easy to imagine a non-conservative government getting elected. Mm -hmm. There is more and more of the population uh, lives west of uh, Ontario in this country, and uh, and in the in the next parliament with seat re redistribution, uh, there'll be no new seats east of Quebec. There'll be three new seats for Quebec, and there'll be a couple dozen new seats west of Quebec. That 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 demonstrates power moving to the west. But the argument in my book is that. Uh, Harper's not the result of a new phenomenon. He, 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 he has tapped into something broad and deep and kind of ancient in Canadian political culture. There have always been conservatives, usually well to the right of the nominal conservative party in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And uh, rather than essentially turning his back on those folks and trying to get centrist votes, uh, Harper has used those strongly conservative Canadians in the West and in the suburbs and in parts of rural Canada uh, as as his strong base on which to build a broader coalition. So 
Mulroney and Joe Clark used to apologize to the center for the excesses of their voter base. Harper always takes care to vote to to uh, apologize to his base for the eccentricities of the center. He never lets anyone uh, feel like he's embarrassed because they're conservatives in his party. Right. On on that interesting note, uh, you've noted that that Stephen Harper, above all, wants to keep the abortion debate closed. But yesterday in the National Post, uh, John Iveson wrote an interesting column on Stephen Woodward's uh, brand new motion where he's trying to look at abortion again by going even further upstream. And Iveson called it another sign of the Conservative Party's, quote, inexorable drift towards becoming a pro-life party. What would your take be on his analysis? Um, I... Uh, I think if, if anything Woodworth uh, moves that is identified in a newspaper as a pro-life motion, if any of it gets to the floor of the House of Commons, you'll see the cabinet, you'll see the, the, the Harper government, prime minister and ministers voting against it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is true that there's an awful lot of pro-life conservatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is true that they show up at pro-life rallies uh, and, and things like that. But in terms of concrete government measures, the the the... The, the most consistent pro-choice advocate in the Conservative Governing Caucus is the Prime Minister of Canada. Mm-hmm. Not out of personal conviction on that question, but because he's convinced that, uh, that, that talking that issue up is, is toxic to the party's electoral chances and gives the opposition parties a great big stick to beat them with. Mm-hmm. Now, eight years into uh, power... It's normal to see a little bit of fraying around the edges. Stephen Woodworth has figured out that he's not ever going to be in cabinet, and he's decided he's going to go back to advocating for the cause that animates his political uh, his political involvement, which is uh, which is uh, the abortion question. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, you, you watch how far he gets, and 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 and, and I uh, I'm pretty sure that as long as Stephen Harper is the leader of the Conservative Party, the answer is going to be not very far. Mm-hmm. Because you note on, on, on pages uh, 399 and 400 of your book that Harper wanted MP Mark Werewa to stay quiet about sex selection abortion in Parliament when he brought up Motion 408 some time ago and there was the uh, brief talk about a backbench revolt. But the Conservative Party, uh, with all the rank and file and many of the members of Parliament, uh, they made a decision almost unanimously to condemn sex selection abortion at the recent Calgary Convention. Uh, was that a repudiation of Harper's position then or, or did something different at play? Uh, uh, delegates at a convention can pass what they want. Mm-hmm. They are not the House leader in the House of Commons. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and, and uh, the House leader in the House of Commons is bringing forth bills on criminal law, on, uh, on the economy, on trade, on uh, health regulation, on a thousand things, and he is not bringing forth bills on sex selection, selection and abortion. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so the, the, that's the difference between the urges of the party base and the actions of the government. Right. An eternal difference right. that is easy to spot with every government of mm-hmm. every party. Mm-hmm. As, as Harper stays in power longer and longer and, and certain segments of his base decide that they want their interests looked at more closely, do you think that he's going to have to fight harder battles to keep those segments of his base quiet? Uh, he is, but there's, there's ways and ways to do that. I mean, uh, I believe a lot of uh, this unrest on questions like uh, abortion it came up in the spring uh, simply because a lot of folks didn't believe they were in um, 
uh, a government that was doing much else. Right. They didn't believe that they were in a busy government that was engaged with its majority mandate. And they also believed it was essentially a safe government. And within a, within a safe government, uh, they could um, they could rock the boat a bit because the, the, the cost was low. You know? right. How angry can the, can the big guy get? Well, two things have changed big time since then. First of all, the Harper government, with its longest throne speech ever, has tried to set a very full agenda for uh, for for the autumn and, and, and winter, so that this government uh, there's not a lot of uh, idle hands in, in the back benches. Mm-hmm. 140 measures in the throne speech, trying just trying to keep his own caucus busy. Mm-hmm. The other thing is they're in huge trouble uh, over the Senate scandal. Right. And uh, and 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 a lot of MPs who might have felt at a little luxury to uh, risk angering the big guy in a quiet period in March and April uh, are, are not fools, and they notice that it's not quiet anymore. Right. We're headed into one of the most raucous house of, uh, weeks in the House of Commons in, in, in my 19 years in Ottawa, and that is not a period where members of Parliament feel like it's a, it's a handy time to experiment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With what's coming up here, many people have speculated on and off that Stephen Harper in 2015 may want to, uh, you know, turn the reins over to somebody else. Other commentators have said that's just it's purely ludicrous, and and your theory of Harper wanting to stay in power in order to shift things gradually would seem to back that. How do you think that this 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 scandal, the current Senate scandal, and the many pseudo scandals accompanying it, are going to impact the next election? Um, I mean, it depends how things evolve over the over the. Uh, the next little while. I mean, the latest revelations, the RCMP memo suggesting that um, Nigel Wright is is uh, suspected of criminal activity, su- suggests that this this crisis is getting worse, not better, over right. time. And there will come a day when Stephen Harper will quit, and I I promise you that on that day it will be a surprise. But my strong hunch is that he wants to stick around. That he thinks he's better than any other potential leader at leading his party into the next election, as in the last four. Right. And that, uh, and that he will put up quite a fight. Right. And you think that the party, his position is strong enough that the party won't try to do anything to him in the, in the interim period? Uh, as of today, I cannot imagine that happening. Right. Um, his position could change. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, you know, we all traipsed off to, to to Calgary for the for the convention, looking for party rebels who were who were asking for Harper's head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All my colleagues were very industrious in that search. They found two delegates from Saskatchewan out of nearly three thousand at the at the convention. Right. Uh, so um, there's 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 a lot of people who are you know find him a bit of a cold fish, mm-hmm. who find him. Final question uh, for all of our listeners. I've, I very much enjoyed your book. I found it a, a extremely insightful. And even though I've been following politics very closely, you know, for the last decade as well, I, I learned a lot about the inner workings of the Conservative Party. Um, why do you think that the average Canadian listening to the show right now should purchase your book? And, and, and what do you think that they can really take away from it? Well, I mean, 
mean, writing a book is hard, and I'm not that good at it. Uh, in terms of, it's not. It, uh, I, I write columns for a living. I write 900 words. Right. And as I got close to writing the end of, to the end of this book, I thought to myself, what I've been trying to do is to write a book about Stephen Harper that everyone can uh, can see their conception of Stephen Harper in it. And if you're far out on the political right, and you're you're grateful that a guy like Stephen Harper came along, I want you to be able to read this book and say, that's my Stephen Harper. And right. if you're far out on the on the political left, and you spent the past decade trying to stop him, I want you to, to I want this to be a book that you can see all the reasons why you wish that he wasn't prime minister there. Right. And I worried that that's impossible. Right. But, what I'm hearing from readers is that it's worked out pretty well. That uh, from very conservative and very uh, uh, social democrat readers all have said that, that the Stephen Harper they think about is the one they see in that book. Right. So the appeal is very broad. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Wells. We'll leave it there. Thanks for your help. Have a great day. That, ladies and gentlemen, was McLean's political editor, Paul Wells, discussing his new book, The Longer I'm Prime Minister, Stephen Harper and Canada. Now, I have to say that I really appreciated his insights on a lot of things, and I really agreed with uh, most of what he had to say, especially his analysis of whether or not Stephen Harper is going to touch the pro-life issue. Now, I think that we saw... Very clearly, when Mark Warawa came up with Motion 408, which was really sort of an anodyne, castrated motion to just say we don't like it when people use abortion to kill baby girls. This wouldn't have made abortion illegal. It wouldn't have criminalized sex selection abortion. Um, it wouldn't have even attempted to open a discussion on legislation about banning uh, gender selection abortion. All it did was say hey, we sort of disapprove of this form of discrimination, which, of course, is, is, a, is a lethal form of discrimination. And when Stephen Harper saw this motion come to the forefront, it was widely reported that the prime minister's office had this motion squashed in contravention of parliamentary procedure as um, the Library of Parliament had approved this motion as something that was indeed Votable. So we saw very clearly that not only was Stephen Harper unwilling to touch the abortion issue, but he was willing to take draconian measures to crush any whiff of pro-life sentiment in his caucus, uh, probably wanting to avoid the embarrassment of the vote on Motion 312, where a number of cabinet ministers voted in favor of this motion, and quite a few of his MPs, almost 90 of them, voted in favor of it. So what we have to look at as pro-lifers is we have to look at a situation where the Conservative Party is growing stronger, but the leader of that party sees abortion as a issue he can only lose on. And for years and years, he would be absolutely right, because abortion's been a no-win issue. In 1991, when Brian Mulroney tried to pass the last law, he saw both pro-lifers and pro-choicers working against the same bill because neither of them were happy with it. Uh, pro-lifers obviously wanted abortion illegal throughout all nine months of pregnancy, and pro-choicers wanted it legal throughout all nine months of pregnancy. But what essentially happened was we showed the politicians that this issue was one that was political poison. They couldn't touch it, and therefore they've decided that squelching any discussion on abortion inside their caucus, in spite of the fact that it might anger a segment of the base, is probably at the end of the day still more worth it than trying to legislate on it and get hammered from both the left and the right. So what we really have to do as the pro-life movement is indicate that we're willing to play the game, to indicate very clearly that we are willing 
to step up, to work with the politicians, um, to recognize that as politicians, they are engaged in the art of the possible, not just in the art of, of what all of us want, right? Is, which is, of course, we do want abortion to be illegal, but we have to recognize that that's not ever going to happen in one fell swoop. Injustices are rarely ever banned out of hand, and we have a long, hard road changing public opinion ahead of us before we're ever going to get even close to that goal. So I think there's a lot that we can learn by looking at Stephen Harper, because yes, we can look at the fact that that he is supporting Canada's abortion status quo. Uh, that's on his conscience. I think that, that the organization I work for, CCBR, has has done a lot towards highlighting his position on abortion, especially in his own writing. We've passed out 50,000 postcards highlighting his position on abortion. But we also have to take a look at our own strategies and our own tactics and realize where the situation came from in the first place. And that situation is the fact that because we have indicated that we're not willing to work with pragmatic politicians on this very serious issue, that quite simply we have made this issue untenable for those like Mr. Harper to work on entirely. We need to make sure that by the time a new conservative leader takes over that we have indicated that we're willing to sit down and start working with them on this serious issue and that we're not going to prove a hindrance but instead that we're actually going to prove an assistance. At the end of the day the pro-life movement needs to look at ourselves and look at what we need to do to save the lives of pre-born babies. Stephen Harper and the politicians are responsible for their consciences. They'll have to answer for what they did to stand up against human rights but as a movement that has taken it upon ourselves to defend preborn life, as people who have accepted responsibility for what is going on in our country, we owe it to the lives we claim to defend to do whatever we can and to recognize that while the politicians have a responsibility, our responsibility is just as serious and therefore we need to work inside the means available to do whatever we can. If you want to read more about this issue and read more political analysis uh, that we've written on this issue, including uh, a manifesto that I wrote some time ago called Against Stephen Harper, a pro-life manifesto, really going through his record in great detail, again, please go to unmaskingchoice.ca. Thank you all so much for being with us. This was 5.30 a.m. The Bridgehead. Please join us again next week, Thursday, for another exciting interview. Thanks. Have a great weekend.